If you have your Bibles or devices, take them, open them with me to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. The new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you are in the upper room, you can go back. Sorry. I always forget. That's why that slide's there. (laughs) All right. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out or took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least, the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Throughout our study of Jeremiah the prophet, we've seen just how decisive God is in dealing with the rebellion and the sin of his covenant people. And if you weren't really familiar with their history, you you might see God as punitive, short-tempered, inflexible, unforgiving. But if you could go and read the Bible enough, you would realize That for 750 years, generation after generation, prophet after prophet, God's people repeatedly cheated on him. They worshipped other gods. They whored themselves out with other religions. They broke his partnership like the video talked about. And they abandoned his love and cast aside his covenant. When you realize that, it puts a whole new spin on this God that they were to serve. Instead of him being punitive and harsh, you recognize just how long-suffering and patient he is. Of course, they're not the only covenant breakers. We also are covenant breakers. We, each and every one of us, have abandoned This partnership that God made us for. This partnership that God wants to have with us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Just like Judah, we've not lived up to the partnership God made with us. And that is fully on us. It's our fault. I I heard a pastor, Clayton Keenan, say... That this problem area of the covenants that God made with us, it's similar to a technical term that IT people use. Who here works in IT? Raise your hand. You may have heard this term. This term is called PEBCAC. PEBCAC. Anybody heard that term before? Mike has. I knew he would. It means problem exists between keyboard and chair. The problem was not God or the covenants that he made. 
The problem squarely exists between the keyboard and the chair. And we're sitting in that chair. It is a classic case of user error. It's not God. It's not what he made and formed. It's a deep-seated problem in us. And I think the video spelled it out really well, how we have broken what God so beautifully made. Jeremiah described it this way back in Jeremiah 17, verse 1. He said, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Which leads God to describe just a few verses later in Jeremiah 17, just what their hearts were like. And quite frankly, what all of our hearts are like. He said in verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. The most deceitful thing you can find is the human heart. And and desperately, it is sick. Who can understand it? Sin is our problem. Sin is our problem. Every problem we face in our culture, in our world today, at the root of it, is sin. It's what broke us. It's what we broke because of our rebellion, because of our waywardness, because of our, our falling away from what God designed us to be. It's written into our lives with an iron pen, like tattooed on us. Sin is, we're born this way. I had someone try to tell me that children weren't born into original sin. I said, have you met my grandkids? I mean, they're wonderful. But you just ask any of their parents. I'm really gracious. They're not so much. They like, yep, Adamic nature right there. That's all sin. We see it in the attitude. We see it in the rebellion. We see it in the resistance. We have been tattooed with sin. We've, we've had like a diamond tool engraved it on our hearts. And it's, it's made our hearts desperately sick, deceitful above all things, completely inexplicable. So yeah, I'd say we need something new to deal with PEPCAC, the problem that's sitting between God's keyboard in our chair. The Hebrew word for this new, this word new is the word hadash, which doesn't mean completely new or utterly new. It instead means renewed or rebuilt or refreshed or renovated. It it is so unique because God did start over with the flood. And as we saw on the video, he promised he'd never do that again. So instead, he makes something that is renewed, a covenant that is rebuilt, that is refreshed, that is renovating our lives. But that doesn't lessen the importance of this new covenant. Or it doesn't mean that all the requirements of the old are still enacted in the new. That's why the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, said in Hebrews 8, 6, which I like, especially out of the New Living Translation. Not one I use a lot, but this is a cool translation. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant, a new covenant. 
a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Now again, let me remind us, the fault in what he's saying as a faulty covenant lies with us. It's not with anything God did or who God is. It's our issue. But to accomplish anything new, it was going to take God to do it. Because we have utterly failed. And we would continue to utterly fail. The sin that's tattooed in our heart, that's engraved in our lives, we just can't overcome it without his help. But he did make a new covenant, a better one. Back to verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. We see major differences in this new covenant. I see four in particular. First, this new covenant cannot be broken. In verse 32, God had described the old covenant as my covenant that they broke. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like what I used to do with my kids when they broke something. That was, that was my glass that they broke. That was my piece of furniture that they broke. And God is like saying, that was my covenant. It was perfect and good and you broke it. That's what the old was. And they repeatedly, as we said, generation after generation did this, sending them ultimately into exile to discipline them. But God promised a new covenant, a better covenant, because he was going to make sure to enact it on both sides of the covenant. That's the only thing that makes it better. That's the only thing that keeps it from not being able to be broken, because God is the only one faithful enough to keep it. Remember how the old covenant spelled out all the things required of us? All of those thou shalts and thou shalt nots. You remember that? The Ten Commandments? Anybody here? You tracking with me? Yeah, a lot of those in there. By contrast, this new covenant talks about all that God is going to do for us. He says, I will make and I will put and I will write and I will be and I will forgive and I will remember, it's all God. We're not in there. God did it. And notice how all these things we shall do come personally from what he first does for us. In that same verse, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. For they shall all know me. I love how God turns the thou shalt into they shall. It's about him and not about us. He's the covenant-keeping God. The second difference of this new covenant is the heart transformation that occurs in us and those that are being rewired, rebuilt, renovated, refreshed, renewed. Verse 33, he says, and I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, we know the story of the Ten Commandments. We used to watch it on TV, right, with Charlton Heston. That's, that's, what, that's what Moses, I'm sure, looked like. Well, I used to watch as a kid and it was almost every Easter Sunday night, right? Is anybody else tracking with me there? Yeah, it was the Ten Commandments. I loved it. It was awesome. <clears throat> We know that in that, 
The Bible says that God wrote his law on tablets of stone. But here's the problem. Those that he made covenant with had hearts of stone. Have you ever taken a pile of rocks and seen how comfortable that can be? My granddaughters love to play. I have a little rock bed out in my backyard. They love to go mess with those rocks. I find them everywhere, in my flower beds, in my bed. I found all those rocks everywhere. But that's our problem. We didn't just get a tablet of stone with his law. We have a heart of stone that can't quite get there. And God said, I'm going to eradicate that imprint on your heart of sin, that tattoo that's been there, that engravement, and I'm going to actually, I'm going to write on your heart my law. Not on a stone tablet, but on your heart. I'm going to actually put it in you. It's not going to be some external force. It's going to become internal motivation. It's going to change you from the inside out. God changes all of that in the new covenant. He makes it possible. He puts his law within us and writes it on his heart. It's the same thing that God said to Ezekiel, who was also a prophet during the exile that happened just a few years after Jeremiah. He said through Ezekiel, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Third difference with this new covenant is our buy-in and full inclusion. Verse 34 says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now, when you think about that, you're sitting there thinking, then why is he up there teaching? No, you weren't thinking that. Well, good, that's, that's nice of you. Some might be thinking that. I think we have to understand that there's different kinds of teaching. We have great teachers in our church. I didn't consult any of this, <laughs> this with them, but there are different styles of teaching. And I think they'd back me up, and if they don't, I'm just going to teach longer. Um, <clears throat> when I was a Boy Scout, I was an Eagle Scout, and I loved scouting, I loved camping, I loved outdoors, I loved hiking. I went on several 50, 60, 70-mile hikes over the course of days. And I used to love to teach other scouts these skills that I learned, wilderness survival, cooking, camping, first aid, orientation, map reading, all these different skills, knots. Don't ask me to do any of them today, but I did a lot of them back then. But I found that the setting in which I might be teaching them had a lot to do with our effectiveness in their learning. If we were teaching them at one of our weekly troop meetings, like on a Tuesday night in the basement of the church where we met, and I was trying to teach them these skills, I found that most of these 11 and 12-year-old boys didn't really care. <laughs> they, didn't, they weren't there for that. They were there for fun and goofing off and doing things that boys do, and we won't talk about that. And, and it didn't matter how brilliant I was, and I was brilliant as a teacher, they just didn't get it. But if you took those same boys and you pulled them out of that setting and you put them in the woods or on the lake, on the mountaintop or in the wilderness, everything changed. I moved from being a lecturer to a trusted guide. 
And so the teaching that I might be giving to them, they were fully receptive because, quite frankly, they wanted to eat the next meal. Or they wanted to make sure that their tent didn't collapse when they got into it. Or they wanted to make sure that they could read a map and a compass so they knew where to go. Those things mattered because of the context they were in. And I think the church has a lot of people stuck in the classroom when where we need to be is in the wilderness. That's where what this word says to us makes the biggest difference. We're so comfortable and convenient in our nice little chairs here. But what about when you have to take it out there? We need to get past studying the playbook and get into the game. When we do, it's going to make us a whole lot more receptive to God's instruction. And we're going to see that God is teaching us himself and that even as others might come around to instruct and encourage us, it's not because they have it all figured out, but because they're also pilgrims on this same journey learning the ways of God. God says, they will know me, is what he says. And when he says they shall know me, it's an intimate intimate personal knowledge it's the same word used in genesis when it described adam as knowing his wife eve and then she conceived now that's some personal knowing right there that's intimacy and that's the same kind of knowing that we're to have with god we're to know him in an intimate personal way not just a set of facts about him It's deeply experiencing God that changes us, not just knowing a whole bunch of rules about him. When we know him this way, it will change us from the inside out. It will bring forth life within us and it will make us desire to do his will. That's what also happens. When we know him, then we'll obey him. Jesus said these things. When we know him in this way, We start having our motivators get changed and our wanters being changed and we're being rebuilt and rewired and renewed and refreshed and renovated into the ways that God designed us to be. There's a revealing passage in Jeremiah when he's talking and condemning King Jehoiakim, who is one of Josiah's sons. Now we get two wrapped up in it, but in Jeremiah 22 from the New Living Translation, he said to Jehoiakim, your father Josiah also had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just and right in all his dealings. That is why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? This kind of knowing him means that we change the way we live The way we love, the way we do things, it changes us. If it's not changing, we probably don't know him like we should. So this new covenant cannot be broken. It is transformative in our life and it causes full inclusion and all of this because of the fourth difference that this new covenant presents. And it is that our sins will be forgiven forever. Jeremiah 31, the last part of 34. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Here's an amazing truth. The only thing God forgets is our sin. He doesn't forget his promises. 
He doesn't forget his lost sheep. He doesn't forget his laws. The only thing he forgets is our sin. I love that. I want to be forgiven. And I want my sins to be remembered no more. And that is the promise of the new covenant. Renowned psychiatrist Carl Menninger once said this. If he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. How much of our mental disease, stress, strain, illness, depression, anxiety is rooted in unforgiveness? Either where we've not received it from God or others or where we've withheld it from other people. We carry such a burden because of our failures, our sin, our guilt. And Jesus came to deal with that. Why are you carrying it around? I thought Justin's word today was so right. We, we kneel before him and then we get up and start picking things back up. And the next thing we know, we're walking around with a ball and chain and wondering why God hadn't set us free. He did, but we picked it back up. These burdens and failures, they have broken our relationship with God and with each other. And they threaten to break our bodies and our mental health and our relationships and our lives. But in the new covenant that God established, you are forgiven. You are forgiven in the new covenant. And your relationship, your partnership with him is restored. This is not just the same day when Jesus comes back or when we go to heaven. It starts now. This can be your everyday experience of freedom, of forgiveness, of relationship with him. Now, I didn't imagine that Jeremiah, when he was speaking these words, had in mind that he was talking about a crucified Messiah. But that is indeed what inaugurates the new covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, he sealed the new covenant between God and us, offering us forgiveness and direct knowledge of God and a new nature that is to obey God and a new nature that would also allow us to understand that this covenant cannot be broken. This is the covenant to which you and I are invited to join. What about you? What about us? Have we received his forgiveness? Have we intimately known him or do we just know a few things about him? Is our knowledge like the knowledge a husband and wife would have with each other? Is it that kind of intimacy? Or do we just surfacely talk to him occasionally and put him on a shelf for a moment or two? He wants us to know him. And let that change us from the inside out. Are you being transformed by him? Renewed? Rebuilt? Refreshed? Renovated by the spirit of the living God who has been poured out to make all of this happen? When I look at all that has happened in our world, as Justin said earlier, the, the world groans and it's so evident to us in so many circles and everywhere you turn on the TV and every almost encounter you have at the grocery store and every occurrence that's happening in our nation and around the world, 
The world is groaning for something new. And Jesus has made a way for that to happen. And look at all of the costs that has been because of this pandemic, the lives lost, the livelihoods that have been lost, including those that we love and know. And when I think about all the division that is happening in our nation where people are ready to fight at the drop of a hat for things that are not fight-worthy, when I think about all those in Afghanistan who helped our country fight an Islamic terrorism, a demonic ideology, and now we have walked away and left them stranded, I think the earth groans. When I see Christians all around the globe that are really enduring suffering, that are really being persecuted, and it has nothing to do with masks or whether I have to get a vaccine or not. That's persecution. And when I think about that, I think the world groans. But Jesus gave us a new covenant. If ever there was a need for a new covenant, it's today. But then again, it's always been that way. Let's turn to Jesus. As the Hebrew writer said, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance, the thing that he said he would give to us. Let's receive. Amen. Donna's going to come and we're going to wrap up today and pray for you. As Chris was talking, I was thinking about um, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And in it, he talks about the fact that we often want to invite God into our lives and do what Justin said, give him some space, let him, you know, recover the couch, hang some new curtains, freshen things up. But C.S. Lewis says he actually wants an entirely new dwelling in us, and he won't be satisfied with anything less. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and he does that through our learning of him, the covenant where he takes off the sin stain on our heart and puts himself on our heart. That's how he's building us. The knowing of him is the building of us. So at first, you might understand what he is doing. He's fixing major repairs that you knew needed to happen. But then he starts messing with stuff you didn't think were broken. (laughs) You thought it looked pretty nice. Um, And the explanation is that he is building a different house than the one that we thought of. He doesn't want to make us into a decent little cottage. He wants to build a palace where he intends to come and live in himself. And my prayer for us today is that wherever you are in acknowledging the new covenant, in the learning of him, in having your house not just renovated, but started over, whatever it is, it's going to be for his glory. And being able to say yes. I so appreciated that today, Justin. To say yes. That's what I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your words are true and that they are timely. And we've heard these words today. 
because we need them. Because you are doing something right now that requires us to say yes to you. We've heard it together as a corporate body so that we can encourage one another in good works. But it's personal. And the way you're going to apply it in our lives is personal. Yes, Lord. I can't say yes for somebody else, but I do have to say yes for me. Thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word, for the plumb line that never moves, for the incredible, amazing covenant that you've invited us into where you keep the commitments and you honor the promises. That's right. Something we could never do for ourselves. And so we do say yes. We offer you our hearts. We say Rebuild this house, Lord. Yes. Rebuild this house so that it is glorious for you, so that you are the center, so that you are the light that other people see in the windows, that it's satisfying to you, and that we can be partners in the mission. Let's stand together. Lord, I pray for us as a church community that these words and the things that Donna has prayed would be more than something that would tickle our fancy or tickle our ears. It would be words of life to us that would bring us into a fuller and deeper knowing of you intimately, personally, where we could be changed from glory to glory where we could have our sins forgiven and be fully included, where we would know that this covenant is not broken and cannot be broken because of who you are. We commit our ways to you, Lord. We commit our lives and our families. We commit ourselves, Lord. We are here to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. We are here to be your ministers of the gospel. We are here to be your witnesses of the power and life that is in Christ Jesus. We are here as yours. And so we commit our ways to you, Lord, and our lives to you. Use us like tools in your hand to speak love and grace and forgiveness and newness of life that is found in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.